Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everybody. It's Nick here, and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. So today, we're going to get back into the Entrepreneur in Focus series. So the last few weeks, it's been me going on about values and standards and mindset and all that stuff. And you're going, wow, when's Nick going to bring another guest back on the show? Well, guess what? Lucky day today because I have a really interesting guest. I'd like to introduce you to a gentleman by the name of Andy Olsop. And Andy is the president and CEO of a company in the US called The Receptionist. Now, The Receptionist is a tech company. Um, Andy bought the company in April of 2015. And the software was essentially running in about 150 locations then. Now, you know, only literally a couple of years later, two or three years later, He's um, literally got the, the, the business running in 3,000 locations globally. And the reason I wanted to bring Andy on the show is a lot of the people we've spoken to so far in the Entrepreneurial Focus series have got good stories of startup. But, you know, Andy bought this business. So some of the things we get into today is, well, you know, why did you buy a business? You know, he's a, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's had startups. He's sold a couple of companies. But he's got a really good perspective as to why he, you know, saw an opportunity to buy something. And then, you know, what he's done since in terms of adding his skill set, expertise and value to the business is really interesting. And probably the main reason I wanted to talk to Andy is he has taken the playbook that I recommend called Traction by Gino Wickman. And he has implemented that playbook to scale his business. So today we're going to get into that. And, you know, there's a lot of, I suppose, technical jargon that comes from traction that that we will reference. But if you're an entrepreneur who's certainly gone past a startup and you've got a business that's, let's say, chaotic and you just don't have the processes, the systems in there, you have to be in there all the time managing it. You know, you're I say stuck in the wilderness where you're sort of time poor and cash poor. If, if you're that entrepreneur, which I know many of you are, then this is the episode for you because what Andy has done is he's managed to turn his business into a much more predictable, profitable, really highly effective business by putting in, in place essentially what is called the uh, entrepreneurial operating system. Sounds really boring, but it's not. And as I say, things like culture and strategy are equally important, but you've got to intertwine those things with things like values and and processes and stuff that's going to get you to be able to work on the business and less in the business. So that's it. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Andy Olsop. So, um, Andy, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Well, listen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I think we're going to have a really fascinating conversation today because, um, you know, one of the things I've been doing recently is I've been getting different entrepreneurs onto the show because I want to be able to share the journey 
that um, an individual has gone on and I, I say journey in the in the proper sense of the word because sometimes it can be you know a big journey a long journey um, so that uh, the various people listening to my podcast can get a perspective and get some really interesting pointers around that so absolutely fascinated to hear yours today well thank you I think it's kind of interesting because I I almost wish I had a podcast like this to listen to over the last 22 years I've been doing this because it is a journey it's a it's a uh, takes a lot of effort and uh, I think what you're doing is is great, and and I hope we can help some other entrepreneurs out there. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate that, and I'm sure from the feedback that I get, and there's a lot of different things. You're right that people kind of need a bit of help, and I always say, resources like this where you can learn from what others have done, so you don't make the same mistakes, or you just get a little bit of information to be able to take away and and turn that into action is a powerful thing. So, so that sounds good. Well, let's kick off then. So, um, tell the tell my audience, you know, a little bit about you, um, kind of you know who you are the sort of stuff that's important to you, kind of what your purpose is. Then let's talk a bit about the business. And then, uh, you know, de- definitely want to get into your your challenges and, and how you've done what you've done. So, so let's kick off a bit about you, Andy. Oh, cool. So uh, my name's Andy Alsop. I'm currently the CEO of The Receptionist. Um, we'll be t- talking a little bit about The Receptionist. So uh, I have been an entrepreneur pretty much since I was a teenager. Um, Rent. I I, I uh, bought a lawnmower to to mow lawns. <laughs> did I had a a paper route, and I just couldn't get enough of kind of an entrepreneurship and stuff. So uh, that has led to a, a pretty long career in, in entrepreneurship. Going back until maybe 1995, I started my first internet business. And uh, in 1995, there were no, nobody even knew what the internet was. When we were talking to customers, we'd say, there's this internet thing, and it's the World Wide Web, and people say, I don't know, is that like a fax machine? What is that? And so we had to actually explain to people what the internet was all about. Well, um, from 1995 uh, till today, we could probably take 10 podcasts talking about all the things that I've done. But during that time, I either founded, co-founded, um, was part of or brought into uh, different um, startups. And uh, it's been, as you said, a journey because it hasn't necessarily always been easy. Uh, I've definitely had startups that that I thought were going to go really well that completely flamed out. Uh, Startups that have done better. Um, There's been struggles where I've been working maybe with another CEO and I'm in a C-suite, but, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I really know how things should be done and might have had struggles working with them and how they were executing and things like that. And that was really challenging for me. I'm not the type of person who's going to just uh, set aside if I don't think things are going well. So um, that it's really all of those things that led me to April of 2015 when I acquired uh, what was then called the iPad receptionist. And I acquired that from a small startup in Boulder. And it was just a couple of guys, they were doing a bunch of stuff and they had developed this software and it was running in 175 locations. And one of the things that was, I think, fascinating about this particular one was that they actually had customers. They had customers I could actually go and talk to. And so that was sort of the genesis of what I'm doing now. That has turned into a great journey. Um, we've grown from 175 locations to over 3,000 locations now wow. uh, in okay. those four and a half years. So kind of in that scale up sort of um, arena, this has been one that's kind of hit and it's working. 
and I am having an incredible time. So that's right. a little bit about. Well, a couple of questions. I mean, that's cool. Okay, so there's a there's a couple of things in there which I think are interesting because different entrepreneurs I've had on, some of them have gone, you know, pure startup. You know, they're, they're from nothing, literally the 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 garage or the back office with the, you know the, the dog is the first employee. Um, you you've bought something. So so just to unpack that. So you, as you said, you've been an entrepreneur beforehand. So you've obviously had the startup experience at some point, I imagine. Why purchase? Why, why buy an existing business? What was the thinking there as opposed to starting so, something? Um, it wasn't like I thought about it that way, in fact. Uh, I've never bought a business. I've sold two businesses. Uh, yeah. I've been part of, you know, just that, that thing where I've got an idea. I had actually a, a technology at Los Alamos National Laboratory where I met a couple of guys, uh, scientists, and we joined together to spin that out of, of Los Alamos. Uh, one of the federal laboratories here in in, uh, in the U.S. Um, but as I had gone through this 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 period, where I really hadn't been able to to generate the success I wanted to. Um, and an important part of my story is that I actually live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, yeah. but the receptionist is in Denver, Colorado. So I live in Santa Fe, but I, every other week I come to um, Denver to run the company. Well. Back in 2014, the story, the startup I was with, uh, the CEO came and said, you know, we're out of money. This is it. And I said, at that point, I looked at my wife and I said, you know what? It's time for me to, to see what's going on in Colorado. I've been doing startups in New Mexico for a while. Uh, New Mexico is part of the Southwest and everything else. And, you know, not every, a lot of people get confused about what the, what New Mexico is. It actually is a state in the, in the United States. Um, and so I'd done that, and then I, I went to Colorado, and I started to network. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I, honestly, I was trying to find a position, uh, mostly in business development, running partnerships and that kind of thing. As a result of all the networking I did, it was one person to the next person to the next person. All, all, all of a sudden, I found myself sitting in front of a guy named Ted Guggenheim. And Ted had this business, um, uh, this iPad receptionist in addition to an, another one. And they were, uh, they had no capital. They were trying to run another business at the same time. And just as a result of our discussions, we said, what if I bought the iPad receptionist? And he thought, hey, that's not a bad idea. So it wasn't as if I went and sought out buying something. But when I saw that, I said, well, hold on a second. These guys have already done the hard work. The hardest part of a startup, in my opinion, is getting it from a dead stop, a dead start, and taking it to something. And they had done that. They had created the, the MVP, the minimum viable product, that showed that the marketplace liked what was out there. So, And they got the first customers. Those first customers are always the hardest. Who, who wants to be the first customer to buy something new that's never been done before? So they did all that hard work. And then I kind of just come in and say, well, I'll buy it. And so I think for me, it wasn't as if I said, I'm going to go buy something. It was more short serendipitous. It just happens. Just, what, why, just, did, why did they want to sell at that point? You, you, you described it, described it very beautifully in terms of, yeah, all the hard stuff had been done. And there's a bit where once you get past that first hump, you know, then it's actually a bit more fun in some cases. What was the rationale? Well, what happened was they had started up something. This is, a, I think, an incredible story. So here they are. They're, in this, uh, they're actually in a, in a, in a, in a formerly a optometrist office uh, in Boulder, Colorado. And it's hilarious. The uh, optometrist in the 60s built this office to make it look like an eye. So it's on, on Broadway. If you're ever in Boulder, look for 2401 Broadway. It's hilarious. 
Anyhow, two guys, all they're known is trying to get this going. They had had an app development company. So they created a company called Textus, and Textus is a texting platform, mostly for the staffing industry. And they really wanted to focus on Textus. But what they had done, because they had been doing app development, uh, a well-known investor in Boulder by the name of Brad Feld of Foundry Group had um, asked them to develop an app that would allow people to walk into their office at Foundry Group, check in on the iPad, and send an email to one of the partners saying that somebody was there to meet them. That was it. Very simple application. They said, okay, we'll do it. And Brad said, basically, I, I don't want any interest in this business, but just develop it for me and give it to me for free. And you guys go out and make it into a business. And I said, okay, why not? Well, as a result of that, they had two startups under one roof with no capital and two people. Well, if anybody tries to, to uh, scale two startups at the same time, it's really hard. You have no capital. Yeah. So <laughs> what happened was I came to them and they were at an inflection point of like, what are we going to do? We can't get these things to scale. So they ended up saying it was, it was as a result of that desire to get text us going that they wanted to see if they could do something with the iPad receptionist. And I came along and I knew that I could get it if I infused some cash. So I told them, I'll pay you some cash to buy the iPad receptionist. And to them, their eyes light up because what that meant was they had the cash to put into Textus. So we executed the transaction, they got the cash. <laughs> Fast forward now, uh, we have both grown and you know, collectively between the two companies, we're generating, if you, you uh, put them together, which kind of obscures our, both of our ARRs, we're about $11 million in ARR four and a half years later in terms of the scale of the yeah. two businesses put together. Fantastic. And wow. so that, that, that separation and focus is what actually made that possible. I focused on the iPad receptionist. They focused on Textus. And by the way, we rebranded. We are actually now the receptionist, not to confuse the marketplace. But. Yeah, now we'll get into, into the business as well because I think it'd be interesting to understand exactly what you do. But before we do that, just to kind of unpack this a little bit because one of the things I people ask me all the time, I get um, various emails or people wanting to kind of um, ask about startup and i did a episode recently which was actually why it's better to buy a business than to start up which you know some people found bizarre but there's a an interesting sort of um point in time where i think in the us alone today there's ten thousand people retiring per day it's part of the baby boomer transition so a lot of those people own businesses and there's only three ways that you can sell a business you can sell it to a person you can sell it to a private equity firm or you can sell it to another company and if you think about the supply and demands that's going on, there's a lot of people out there with businesses to sell, particularly because they're reaching retiring age. And you know, if you speak to a lot of accountants and lawyers, you'll find that these businesses are just getting closed down. So I always say to a, someone going into a more entrepreneurial journey, because obviously it's not just about startup, it's about you, know, you being the owner, the founder, <clears throat> is how can you, know, you can look at these businesses. You might be able to go into something, and as you said at the very beginning, the hard work's done, or certainly the first part of the hard work's done. And you can get something really good. And if you've got a good vision for that, then, you know, you could turn that into something that's getting you what you need from your business, your life, more effectively than going through that, that first part of the journey. It's true. And that's something that, uh, that's, that's fascinating. I'm going to go back and listen to that podcast because uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually was not aware of those. So that, um, and that is exactly, and, and it's funny because none of that really impacted my decision, you know, whether that was the case or whatever, but I think that from all, I mean, basically I've been involved in about seven startups and of all of them, 
you know, all that front end work was so hard. Uh, you know, the one that I spun out from Los Alamos National Labs, we got one customer and it was a bank and it was a bank that we worked with. And when we got that customer, we were, we were dancing. We're like, oh my God, we've hit it. This is going to be huge. We never once got a second customer. Really? So <laughs> yeah, was, you know, this is big, big software, big data, kind of things like that. And it was, it was not sort of, you know, a $49 product or something. It was really, we've got to go in and talk to IT security departments and things like that. So I knew the pain that I had gone through with all of the other startups and things, but fascinating to hear about, you know, the retirees and, and what's going on with the businesses. And I get a lot of PE firms reaching out, you know, saying, are you tired of, you know, running your business? Are you ready to sell and things like that? And I'm like, what? No, you know, I'm, I'm having a great time. So very interesting. No, no, well, my background is private equity, so I'm probably one of those people who sometimes call you guys up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, exactly. The, the other, the, 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 to finish the point on, on the whole um, sort of acquisition or the um, buying a business piece, there's, there's a massive opportunity to roll businesses up these days. So, you know, and I okay. always say that if you've got a great business, look for acquisitions now because now's the time to create that one plus one equals three. So definitely yep. worth looking at. Definitely. So take us through then. So the business itself, so take us through the receptions, what it is, what it does. Because um, I want to get into, you know, when we sort of had a, a pre-conversation, if you like, around how you've scaled it. I want to get into that, if that's cool. So take me through your business first. Sure. So um, the receptionist is an iPad-based visitor management system. Uh, if you've ever walked into a business and you've seen an iPad there and mm -hmm. you check in on the iPad, the iPad will likely ask you different questions, who you're there to see, uh, what your, you know, maybe questions about pretty much anything and then you might sign a document on the ipad and then it might make make a uh, take a picture of you mm -hmm. uh and then might print out a badge um that's exactly what our what our software does and it's um, always on an ipad or any other tablet now we've chosen to go with ios that's a very interesting topic and i won't take too long on it but you know we've had requests for android and things like that there are just so many different flavors of android both in devices and also in the software as well that we've chosen uh, iPad and iOS because it's one platform and one one software. It makes it much easier to support and deploy. Okay, got it. Okay, so and in terms of when you went into the business, so when you bought the business for the first time, um, what what did you find? What what was this, the state of it, and and you know what did you have to do first, for example? Well, what's interesting is you know even in the due diligence side before I bought it, uh, again we had customers, so it was easy for me to to go in and actually talk to customers, which. That's not a luxury you have when you first start a business. Um, so being able to talk to them, they said, oh, we love this. Yeah, there's a few bugs in it or whatever. I then brought in a software engineer and asked them to just dig through the code, tell me where the bodies were buried with the code. And they said, yeah, it's MVP. This is pretty, uh, it's pretty rough software, but you know, you, it can be overcome. So when I first started the business, April 10th of 2015 was the first day I owned it. Uh, one of the salespeople from the company came over with the, what then was the iPad reception. So we set up a, a folding table in a, a giant co-working space called Industry here in Denver on Brighton Boulevard. And uh, at that uh, table, we, rent, we rented just basically some space in somebody else's space. And we sort of, that's where we got started. Uh, I had a part-time support person who was actually in Brooklyn also part of the previous company as well. And so uh, that's kind of, that's how it got started. And then what I did was I raised only enough capital necessary to determine 
uh, or to bring in contractors. So software engineering, iOS development contractors, marketing contractors, things like that. And I kind of did it intentionally based on what I had experienced in the past, which is when you start a business, or in this case, buy a business, you really don't know what you need in terms of resources as you're going to begin to take it from that, that very first day on April 10th and go forward. So I did that, and that was great because it meant I didn't burn through all my capital hiring a bunch of full-time people. So, you know, the the software engineer started, you know, fixing the software and adding different things and looking at it and creating sort of a roadmap and figuring out how we could pay back the tech debt. The iOS engineer was trying to fix it as well. And um, so over time, I realized, first, I got to get a customer experience person in here, a full-time support person. I also need to get a full-time salesperson. I also need to get a full-time back-end engineer and eventually a full-time iOS and uh, iOS engineer. So that was kind of the first six months. I was doing a lot of the sales alongside of the, the sales people as well. I was handling a lot of the bigger sales. And then I was doing all the finance. I was, I'm, I'm strong in finance. That's always been probably my, my, one of my favorite parts. And so I was doing all the, the financial planning, all the forecasting, determining where we were, how much capital we needed, and that kind of thing. Um, so that's basically how we sort of, that's, that's the beginning. Piece. Yeah. Cause there's a couple of things in there, which is interesting. So I, I always recommend, um, not necessarily hiring people at the beginning. And it's funny how many founders that I speak with kind of look at me blankly or go, what do you mean? You know, the first thing when I get some funding is I'm going to go and hire a salesperson or whatever else. And I always say the risk of that going wrong, you know, hiring someone and it's a misfire of a hire, then, you know, that's going to take you back six months, if not longer, because, you know, it's just, it's more of a commitment than trying to bring in a specialist who can help you you for a finite amount of time. So what you've said there is actually quite rare, even though you've you've said it with a lot of humility, Not, not a lot of people I speak to get that as a concept. So where did you learn that? Was just was that just your own insight, or had you had a mentor who'd helped you, or anything like that? Well, I'd say for the other entrepreneurs out there, listen to Nick. He's got the right advice. <laughs> this <laughs> is, I mean, this is a, it, this is really key because I, I, for me, it was the fact that I had started three or four of them, um, and when you have that little bit of capital, I didn't go out. It it can be difficult, you know. If it is an entrepreneur who has a great idea and has been able to generate two or three million dollars, probably, you know, maybe that's what you what you need to do. But this was friends and family. You know, this was not a lot of money. And so I knew from past startups the exact exactly what you said is that you bring somebody in and if it's a misfire, this is a critical point. That one misfire can tank the whole thing because you don't get another shot. Are you going to go back to the, the friends and family and say, hey, I hired that person. It didn't work out. I'm going to have to hire somebody else. And they go, you mean you want more money and you didn't get anything out of the, the first round? So I'd, I've had enough, I'd, I would say, battle scars to know that that's what I wanted to do and that I wasn't going to make that mistake again. So it wasn't really mentors or anything else. It was really just sort of my past experiences where yeah. I knew that I could find contractors. And, and then the thing about hiring contractors in that stage, it's only going to last so long. You know, a contractor's focusing on other things. It's like when you go and hire a contractor to build a house or to whatever else. They're halfway through the project and they're looking at what, where they're going to get their next job from. Um, so they may not be quite as invested. They're not an employee. They may not have equity. So it's not something that's a long-term solution, but it was enough for me just to say, it gives me some breathing room to have somebody do a lot of work for me and recognize where I need to really put the emphasis and there was gen- the, the, the company was generating um, cash flow. You know, we had MRR. And we, we, so it wasn't like 
all of that money, like in a startup, when you have zero uh, revenue, then that means all the money is going to payroll and whatever else. And if you've got rent, unless you're doing it in your garage. In this case, the luxury I had was as we continued to add accounts, our MRR went up as well. So it took some of the pressure off of the necessity. So if I'm, for if I'm hearing this quickly, so correctly, sorry. There's a piece where you had, you definitely mentioned marketing contracting. So you had some people in there that were helping on the commercial side of the business. So therefore that was giving you, you know, an injection, if you like, of cash flow. Well, you know, as you, as you're mm -hmm. talking about. And at what point did you say this is now not sustainable to have the contracting element? It probably was, you know, your time may be limited. So therefore it's time to hire someone. And, and was, that, was I, did I hear right? The first person you hired was a salesperson? Well, we actually had a salesperson that came over uh, right, from okay. the old company. So that, that person came over a uh, heavily commission uh, based salary. So yeah. it wasn't taxing the company too much. Uh, some of the stuff my hand was for, um, you know, that forced my hand. Um, one was that, that person, the support person I was talking about who was in Brooklyn, uh, she was actually the uh, wife of one of the founders of the company I bought it from. Right. So she was working for me, and about two months in, she goes, you know, I'd really like actually to go work for my husband's company. So I'm giving you, you know, she was very nice. She gave me 30 days notice. And so I had to scramble. I had to find somebody. So actually, my first full-time hire beyond the salesperson was a support person. Part of the problem with the software was, not there was no automation built into it when we acquired a new customer so just when a customer came along and signed up it basically sent us an email and we'd have to go into the back end and say okay i gotta sign an sms number i gotta set the account up i gotta do this so it was really manual intensive uh and so and all that's been automated of course and was automated very quickly so that's what happened it forced my hand when when Brittany at the time said you know i'm i'm you know i'm sorry but i'm leaving I ended up getting extraordinarily lucky uh, with that first hire because it was somebody who I, I, I mentioned Ted from Texas earlier. Mm -hmm. yep. Somebody came to interview with him and it was actually Jessica Marshall, who's one of my co-founders. Uh, she was interviewing with Ted and Ted kept saying to her during the interview, you need to talk to Andy. And uh, uh, Jessica kept saying, well, aren't I interviewing with you? Why do you keep telling me I need to interview with Andy? It was kind of a hilarious sort of in interview for her. By the end of the interview, he said, look, just go call Andy. You'll figure it out. You'll know exactly why I'm saying this. She calls me, and we have a conversation. And she said, uh, uh, you know, after the conversation, she goes, now I know why Ted was telling me to come over to you. Because she had experience in a similar space. It was like a perfect match. I never interviewed anybody else. It was the one person I met. And it turned out she was my co-founder. And then my second co-founder came serendipitously through as well. It was a director of engineering. I knew... I needed to replace the engineering contractor. I knew it was too critical not to have somebody in the engineering space. So again, my other co-founder, Dylan Berry, came through uh, in, what was it, September, only four or five months later. And those were my first two full-time hires, aside from the salesperson who came across. And you brought them in as co-founders because of the, the stage of the business? I didn't bring them in as co-founders. Um, they came in, and I, that is a, another interesting discussion, but, but later on, um, two years ago or so, they're now part of my leadership team. They are uh, critical. I mean, everybody is critical in the company, but they are critical uh, individuals within the company uh, without whom I would not have been able to build this business. And they came at a point when the software was, God, it was a piece of junk, you know? And um, <laughs> honestly, it's MVP stuff. And uh, Delenn just completely rewrote the software. Jessica completely created the ethos of something we call radical support. You'll see it all over our website. And it's about 
respectful support and just having fun with our customers. And we have such ridiculously great reviews from our customers. They, they, they take time out of their day to, to send us and emails and chats to say, I, I don't know what you guys are doing over there, but you're like one of the most fun companies I've ever had to deal with. It's so much, you know, so good. So, and she brought that. So I reflected upon it and I just said this, you know, these, they are, are my co-founders. They, I, without them, I wouldn't have been able to get this company where it is today. So. Okay. Well, let's go into, so one of the things I talk about a lot is I talk about um, what I call my playbook. And so when I've gone into businesses, which have normally been sort of portfolio companies that are invested in by private equity or VC, um, there's normally a bit of a transition that you have to make. Sometimes they're businesses that are good businesses that just haven't been looked at professionally you know, for some time. Sometimes they are turnarounds, just depends. So the playbook I've always used is a, it's from a book called Traction by Gino Wickman. And he's got another couple of books as well. He's got Rocket Fuel and, and whatever else. And I've heard that, that, you know, you're a fan of this as well. <laughs> is that correct, Andy? <laughs> not only a fan, but we have essentially built our entire company on traction, but okay. not from the beginning. And so yeah, okay. I'm, you know, this, is, this is, I mean, I've done a, some of my own, on our podcast, uh, the check-in, if you want to check it out. I also did one about traction for us as well. Um, I had, uh, again, Delenn and, and Jessica are part of the leadership team. and. There was, a, and because I go back and forth between Santa Fe, New Mexico and um, Denver, Colorado, I drive a lot of times. When I drive, it's a six hour drive. I listen to a lot of podcasts or, or books on tape. Um, an associate of mine had said, have you ever uh, heard about traction? It's really good. It's got a great methodology to it. I, I didn't know what it was. This is probably maybe 2017, early 2017, I think. I might okay, not so have you've had right. the business but, for a couple of years at this point? I'm just going back from 2015. Correct. Okay. Correct. And on one of those drives, I'm thinking to myself, I bet you if my, any one of my employees is or any one of the team is at a backyard barbecue and somebody comes up to him and says, what is the vision of the receptionist? I bet you you would get as many responses as there are employees in the company. And it frustrated me. We weren't all on the same page. So when this associate of mine, David Falwell, said you should you know, read Traction, I said, okay. So I listened to Traction. And it is one of the most gripping drives I've had. Six hours of just, and I didn't finish it all in that one, but it was transformative. I was like, this is what can allow us to get to the point where we're all on the same page. The virtual traction organizer, US, right person, right seat, all of the different tenets of it were fantastic. So I come to one of our leadership meetings and I am so floored and excited about this thing. I'm like, Delenn, Jess, we've got to do this. I've got this whole outline. We're going to start implementing traction. And they were like, whoa, whoa, we haven't even read this book. What are you talking about? So we took a step back and I said, okay, let's get through the book. I want you guys to get it, get through it as well, because I need you as my leadership team to be on board with this, with this thing. They read it and they were like, this is great. This is a, a methodology. The EOS, the idea that it's an operating system for a company to use. So we we took the journey of putting together the virtual traction organizer. And man, it is so much work, but it is so absolutely worth it. And the first thing I always talk about is how important the core values are, the very first step in the virtual traction organizer. And it that's been a game changer for us. Ours is, is fabric. And if you go to any employee and say, what, is, what are the core values? They know it. And it's not because we put up, you know, neat murals on the wall or whatever else. It is actually part of our discussion. It's when I can go around the company and I'll hear A is for authentic 
and you know, and I'll hear something like, I tried to be as authentic as I could with this particular customer when they were, you know, trying to figure out this or, you know, fun is the first one. Uh, and that's an important one for me because I want to have fun in a company. I've been in a lot of startups where it isn't fun. Everybody is just heads down trying to get their job done and, and it, things aren't working and there's fighting and everything else. And I, I didn't want to have that. So um, I would say I, our bringing fabric to the company, I'm sorry, bringing EOS and traction to the company and then evolving through our core values and figuring out where our 10-year plan is, all of that has been really critical to decision-making as well. Because, for instance, we have said where our focus on a marketing perspective is uh, U.S. and Canada. We do have lots of uh, customers in Europe and, and England, but at the same time, that's really our focus. So when we say that and somebody comes along and says, should we do this partnership in, in I don't know, Tanzania? Uh, we say, well, our, really our focus is, is on the U.S. and Canada. So it allows us to easily say no to some things and yes to others. And it's allowed us to really focus. So I, I can't say enough great things. I'm, I don't know if I'm helping sell more of Gino's books or whatever. Well, you, probably, you probably are. And I think he's going to come on the show at some point. So, you know, he'll probably like oh. it. <laughs> okay. so we go. But um, just to go back, because I'm, I'm a fan of methodologies and I'm also a fan of um, trying to create predictability within businesses. So that, that comes down to metrics. It comes down to, you know, it, it's, it's how you get clarity, accountability, all of those things. What was it like before? So, just I mean, I know you don't want to go through the numbers of the business where it is today, but even from an employee level or whatever. So, you know, obviously you've grown a lot since then. But was it was it quite chaotic at the beginning because you hadn't had some of this structure in place? And and, and it was. It was. There are different things. Like for instance, you know, an employee comes along and they have a maybe a a concern or something, and there's so much going on in the business, and they come to you and you say to your, you say to them, well. I'll take care of that. We're going to go and you know we'll look into that. And then you get really busy. And then as a result of getting busy, that thing falls to the wayside. And then the employee says, wow, you said you were going to do something about that. And it's not from any malicious thing. It's just that you're so busy, not, you know, trying to execute. And, and maybe this customer came in and they need this or whatever else. So weeks will pass by, months will pass by, and that issue never gets resolved. And this is just kind of a microcosm of what can help here. Because of the, the whole kind of cascading uh, methodology that comes with traction, something that is, uh, is sort of raised by an employee, we have a methodology. Okay, is this a departmental issue? Is it, is it an individual issue? Is it a departmental issue? Is it a company issue? And if it is uh, an individual issue, then it gets resolved at the, at the individual level. If it's a department level, then the department director is going to take that. It'll cascade up to the department director. They'll have meetings with whoever is necessary, maybe one of the other directors, and then cascade back down again. Same thing happens. If it's company issue, it's going to go up to leadership. It gets put on the level 10 agenda. It gets, uh, it gets addressed. Um, it might not hit it in the first, first meeting, but it will get addressed. And then there's a cascade that comes back down again. So for employees now, once something is raised, it always gets addressed and always gets addressed really quickly as a result of the methodology. That's just sort of one of the things. Prior to that, it might just kind of fall off. It might be on somebody's to-do list and it never gets addressed. And so that has created through our core values and, and everything else is a sort of an environment where people feel like everything is, you know, whether it's something that, oh, I'm, I really want to see that, you know, we go out and we do this big initiative. We have the VTO, 
this initiative that's been proposed by somebody comes up to the leadership level. And then we look back at the VTO and I said, well, what is our market? Uh, what is our 10-year plan? What is our three-year plan? What are our one-year goals? Does this align with those? Actually, it probably doesn't align with it. We cascade it back down. And we're not just saying, no, we don't want to do it. We're saying, no, we're not going to do it because we as a company have decided this is what we're going to do. And so then they go, oh, yeah, that's right. We had all decided that. Makes sense. And then all of a sudden, the issue not only gets resolved, but gets resolved in a, in a way that feels like it's completely resolved. So that's, I guess, just a few of them. The other is that part I was talking about. I feel as though our employees, when they go to a backyard barbecue, can consistently describe what the vision for the company is. And the vision, you know, there's all these fancy vision statements that everybody puts, everybody puts together in a mission statement and things like that. Nobody can ever recall that when they get to the bar backyard, bar backyard barbecue. But here in this situation, you have it all laid out. It's a document, two-page document. If you read traction, you'll know why it's a two-page document. And that two-page document is something that we share with contractors, we share it with investors, we share it with employees, and they can, they're not going to read a 25-page business plan. Nobody's going to read a 25-page business plan, but they can read a two-page document with bullet points and say, got it, you know, and so that takes that chaos away because everybody can center on, you know, that particular uh, document and know where you're going. So, so you're, have you had to then change the structure? as well as the business in terms of what your role is, what your co-founders roles are and how that works from what it was beforehand. We didn't have to change it too much. I mean, we haven't gone, gone to the implementer and the visionary and things like that. That's one area that I think that it, it, there's a little bit of it going on right now in our leadership, but I think it's sort of untold. It's not like we've actually defined those and said who is in those roles. Um, but from a structural standpoint, the thing that we have done, because we have our one-year goal, three-year goal, your 10-year goals, or and our vision, what we have been able to do is say, okay, we know where we want to go. We know what the sort of the, the goalposts we are trying to get to. How do we align the company in, to get there? What do our departments look like? What do each one of the departments need to bring to the table? What are the rocks? That's the other thing. The rocks have been fantastic for us. We started with our first set of rocks. Um, and I'm talking a lot of jargon here, so I apologize. Yeah, I so, I think, I mean, unpack some of it. So just, just in terms of just going to help. So, the, so a rock is defined as? A rock is defined as something that either the company says over a quarterly basis that they're going to, the company is going to achieve. And you start with your company rock and it all trickles down. So our rock every quarter, the primary rock we have is the number of activations that have turned that we are going to achieve every single quarter. And then everybody in the company is looking at that rock. And then what happens is the company is um, each one of the individuals inside the company creates a rock and we create a theme for your rocks. So for instance, this one, the rock for the current quarter is education and we keep it kind of broad. It's got to be around education. Um, so customer experience is their rock is creating educational materials. So for instance, things that'll help them be able to use our software even better. Sales team, it's more about education internally. Um, and so, uh, you know, ours, is, uh, 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 my specific one, and this is, you know, it's, it's a little bit looser, but mine is what's called the 21 operational plan. That is, how do we get to our three-year goal in terms of what is our hiring plan to get there and things. So it means that we're all centered around the same sort of rock, and that rock rolls up to what the company is trying to achieve for the quarter. And then we have a meeting just prior to the end of the quarter, actually right at the after the uh, beginning of the, the next quarter, where we determine what the new rock is for the next quarter and how do we do in the previous rock. 
that all came out of traction. Before, there was a little chaos. We'd have quarterly meetings, and we'd say, okay, we'll get some food and everything, and be like, all right, um, what do we want to do this quarter? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? Bob, what do you think? Jim, you know, Jane? <laughs> and we just, and we would, you know, so we'd yeah. start writing stuff on the chalkboard, you know, or not chalkboard, God, it makes me sound like a, oh, so old, but, you know, on the whiteboard. On an <laughs> iPad. <write> <laughs> Exactly. Or Google Docs, actually, is what we do. But, you, know, you know, you write all this stuff down and then you get to the end of the quarter like, oh, yeah, we had those things we said we were going to do at the beginning of the quarter. Anybody remember those? No. Oh, let's pull out the Google Doc. Oh, wow. I mean, we didn't really get any of them done. What you've what you've covered there and obviously some quite, you know, clear examples, you know, regardless of whether people understand what a rock is or not, it, it's, it is irrelevant to some extent. Is, is it's actually putting some process and some structure around, you know, the business, but not just from a strategic perspective, also from a cultural perspective. And, and I, this is why I'm such a big um, advocate of, of what Gino's done with this, because, again, you know, I, I have visibility of lots of different businesses from my sort of investment background, also lots of visibility you know, from what I'm doing now with people connecting entrepreneurs and founders. And I tell you what, there are more people doing the chaotic meeting that you described with, you know, a bit of beer and pizza so what are we what are we going to do? And the focus level is just not there. And I say the number one superpower in business is focus. There's a few others, but your ability mm-hmm. to focus and to not get distracted, not get overwhelmed, is actually probably you know the most important thing. Because if you can do that, you're going to get something. You're going to get a result. Now, as long as you focus on the right thing, you're going to get the result that you want. But more importantly, it's just to actually do that is is the key the key, key differential. But so many people don't do it. Crazy. So true. So true. Yeah. And I, and we, I've been doing that all my career, this chaos. And I couldn't figure out how to get it all together and say, okay, we're going to have a meeting and we're going to actually put in place what we're going to do. And, you know, and it's going to happen. And, you know, the methodology that, that Gino and, and based on his dad's experience too, uh, is, is very solid. And it's actually really easy to understand. And I think that's kind of a core piece of it. You'll hear about these business methodologies. And it's like, okay, well, you got step one. And under step one, there are 17 different steps that you need to do within that. And then below step 1.2, you've got to do these three things. And before you know it, you have no idea what you're doing. This is just a very simple model, I think. Uh, It sounds complicated when you start going through it. But by the end, and you start implementing it, you realize, wow, it actually is pretty easy. And Everybody in the company knows what a rock is. Everybody knows what a VTO is. Everybody knows what our one, three, and year and ten vision are. It's you know, so they all know what our core values are. So it's a way to get everybody on the same page. And then when we hire an employee, I barely have to say anything, you know, about the VTO or anything. Our employees are then communicating all of that to the next employee. Of course, we share the VTO with them and stuff. So it's that kind of um, um, efficiency of being able to communicate that is so critical in a company. Wow. So I think the takeaway for people listening is first to go buy the book. You know, we have no affiliation with Gino. I can promise you that. I don't. However, it's just such a good <laughs> <Neither do I. laughs> No, exactly. Right. I mean, he's got another book, Rocket Fuel. Have you read that? I have not read Rocket Fuel. As soon as you said that in the beginning, I was like, oh man, I'm embarrassed. I should probably have read that one. But no, no, no. Is you can take too much in sometimes. I think there's a lot of interaction. You know, you're 100% right. I mean, I've put that in place in a couple of different businesses and it, it does take a lot of work up front. It's a bit like that whole, that whole saying about before you, you know, chop down the tree, you've got to sharpen the axe. And, you know, yeah. the, once, you, once you've sharpened the axe, it's easy, but it takes a bit of time. But it's a massively rewarding thing. The only thing I've found, I suppose, with the traction model, it doesn't work when you get really big into kind of the empire-sized businesses and certainly into corporate, it doesn't work as well. There's a certain point in the, the scale-up journey when you get to a certain amount of scale that it's perfect for that. I think, and actually, let me just comment on that. So I had, uh, actually, my, my um, 
sister-in-law, she was at a, a very large, well, not very large, 120 person firm. And they, they were implementing traction. And oh man, if you have an app implemented traction and you're 120, it, that talked about chaos. Because now all of a sudden you're realizing half your people are not in the right seat. Half your people are not the right people. She said through attrition and through layoffs, they, they let go of half the company. And so it took them, but after they went through this pain, which was significant, the company was really starting to chug along and doing much better. So what I love to tell entrepreneurs is it's so much better to adopt something like this. Like we adopted it when we were six people or something like that. That's a lot easier because you're not trying to, you know, turn the, the tanker and actually, you know, you, you can swiftly make changes and, and, and implement it much quicker. So for anybody else, if you're, you know, if you've got two people and you're, start, you're starting to get traction, you've got market, product market fit, now is the time to implement something like this. Obviously, it's implemented at 100 people as well. It's just, you're, it's going to be a little more painful. At that no, I've, done it, I've done it with up to about 150, 200 before, and you're right. <clears throat> the first thing you find out is that the uh, right people in the right seats, often, often someone's been in an organization, particularly if it's a business that's been, you know, not a startup, but has been around for 10 plus years, people just kind of get stuck in these roles. And because they've been there so long, you know, that, that's, that, that person's always done that, but they may not be the right person. And more importantly, they may not be the person who's going to get you to where you need to get to. So Absolutely. it can be quite painful. But again, if you're scaling a business, and this is where I think, as I said from the outset, Lots of entrepreneurs, particularly the ones who are doing the startup to scale up piece, they get very excited by the creative process of a startup. What's the problem to be solved? You know, creating the MVP to your point. And then when it starts to get, well, hold on, now I need people because I need to leverage and I need to think about culture and I need to think about values. That's where, you know, certain types of entrepreneurs struggle. And that's why without overplaying it, I say, listen, if you, know, if you can't do that, firstly, get a methodology. This is a good one. There are others. But this is a good one. And then you may need someone who can come in there and actually land the methodology for you so you can still be the person that you are, which is either the artist or the creative or the visionary. But you've got to bring this in. You've got to have something. Otherwise, you can start making lots of mistakes. And I think your point you made at the very beginning, make one, one a senior hire. If you get that wrong, and I've seen this happen many times, where it's A, a very expensive person to bring in and they're not effective. Certainly, at least six months, possibly even 12 months, that can take you back. And yep. at critical times in the journey, that, as you said, could actually cripple, if not kill your business. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Agreed, 100%. <laughs> Good, well listen, I've taken up heaps of your time, Andy. Um, it's been fascinating, mate. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of, I mean, when, I, when I do the kind of intro, which I said, as I always do, the, sort of after I've had the conversation, there's quite a lot of nuggets you've put in there around your kind of vision and leadership of how you've done it, which is quite unusual. So certainly take that on board as being quite unique. And I think it's going to be quite a good perspective for people listening to the show. Excellent. Yeah. And I think that that's what I hope to do because I'm one of the, one of, I'm constantly meeting with other entrepreneurs who are trying to do the same thing. And I was always meeting with entrepreneurs. So for me, it's more about being able to sort of give back to the community, the entrepreneur community, you know, worldwide, that's given so much to me and allowed me to, to learn so much as well. And I, I still am, you know, it's not like I know everything either. So I'm constantly meeting with other entrepreneurs, asking them how if they sold their business or how they did that or, you know, how did they scale up? What were the things they did? And it's it's uh, it's really a, a fun and fascinating journey. And, and so I love contributing to that journey for other people as well. Good. Well, I'm going to finish with a question, if that's OK. Well, it's actually two, it's two okay. parts. There's one question. So what's the and this is think about this from the entrepreneurial journey perspective. What's the one piece of advice that's been the best that you've ever received? 
Got you. So the best part, the the best uh, piece of advice. I mean, honestly, this is it's going to sound redundant, but I would say one of the best pieces of advice because it's had such an impact is when Dave Falwell said, you should, you should listen to traction or retraction. Um, I knew nothing about it. And for me, that was uh, probably a, a pivotal piece of advice. And honestly, when I heard it, I was like, Oh yeah, another book, another, another methodology. Um, but that, that was, that was really critical for me. Okay. It's obviously made a step change in the business. Can you, I mean, obviously can you share, does that has that taken you out of the business a bit? I mean, is there a point now? You said you do a six-hour drive and you know you live a long way. Do you have to be there every day, or is the business running more like a machine now because of that? Well, it's it's definitely running like a machine. Um, you know, I just got back uh, a couple weeks ago from a family vacation, and the team is so um, so well pulled together that when I am on vacation, I might check in every once in a while. Um, you know, just make sure everything's going okay and nobody needs anything, but. Honestly, there is almost nothing that comes up where, I mean, in previous vacations, I would have to spend almost the entire vacation having to work because something was going wrong or something's not aligned or customers are, you know, whatever it was. This has actually been the first experience where when I want to go and sharpen the axe, I can go away and sharpen the axe. I don't need, I can check in. And, and when I'm usually checking in, it's kind of like, hey guys, how's everything going? Yeah, everything's great. Yeah. You know? So you can, you can just work on, on the business as well. Exactly. Give yourself some time to reflect yeah. about the, the future. And so right, some and of my best ideas come back from that. <laughs> <laughs> and the last part of the question. So I asked you what the best piece of advice was, and that's good. So what's the worst piece of advice you've been given? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot, but it's always interesting. People get a lot out of these questions when you, because you know, there's no right answer, of course. Right, right. That is really a tough one. Um, I, I, okay. This is going to be a little <laughs> bit more of a soul revealing kind of thing. One of the businesses that I was president in, um, and we had a CEO and it was sort of kind of a disaster. And the, um, the CEO's father was one of our board members and he looked at me and he said, you know, Andy, I think probably you should probably just go maybe work as like a clerk at a hotel desk or something like that. I think that would be more appropriate for your skill set. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm an entrepreneur. So I don't know. It really, you know, it wasn't like business advice or anything like that, but uh, it was something that I remember to this day, and it must have been like 20 years ago when it happened. So I don't know if that aligns with what you're talking about, because you may no, be looking. Well, so, well, so there's, there's, always, there's always a backstory to things like that as well. Sometimes those comments and those things motivate you to do other things. I, uh -huh. I, you know, you know what I mean? It, it probably doesn't correlate directly, but, you know, I always find when sometimes people think that I can't achieve something or challenge what i'm doing it spurs me on even more to not, not because i care about that individual per se sometimes i would if it's someone close to me but it's more the fact that you know i, I want to be relentless and i want to achieve my goals so you know it might I be that prove that person wrong <laughs> <laughs> precisely well listen andy awesome stuff mate um as i said fantastic and congratulations again on what you're doing with the receptionist and and it sounds like to me you know as i said i speak to very an eclectic mix of entrepreneurs of all sorts. Sometimes people have sold their businesses. Sometimes people at the very beginning, you're clearly in the kind of having some fun of fun with it now because you've put in the hard work and got the business to a place where it's doing what it needs to do. And I suppose it's just, you know, consolidating, writing that out and then getting to something that's going to be, 
you know, whatever that is for you at some point, selling the business or otherwise, but um, congratulations, fantastic. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on. It's been a, a blast talking to you. No, absolutely fine. No, thanks again.